Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Included in this book are highlights and notes in the margin. This is the Notable Podcast, and these are the discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 7, Life Reframed, a podcast on Ecclesiastes. Well, good evening, Jonathan. Good evening. Are, yeah, it's good to see you again. <laughs> we are, we are getting towards the end of our journey through the Book of Ecclesiastes, and Jonathan, I, I can't, I can't believe it. This has been such a rich, phenomenal journey for you. How do you feel about coming towards the end? I think we only have one or two episodes left after this. Well, it's like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter two, and I hated life. And it's too bad things have to end. You know, I, I'm, I really have enjoyed the book of Ecclesiastes. I, I just finished up a sermon series on Ecclesiastes here at my church, and we're moving into the season of Advent. And I found it really hard to turn the corner because I've really fallen in love with this word. So I'm, I guess I'm grieving that a little bit, but we got an hour in front of us. So we do and it's seizing it. It's, it's a, it's a phenomenal uh, topic tonight. If if you want to know why we suddenly turn to topics, listen earlier in the podcast, but we're going to catch the wave tonight. One of the most prominent themes in the book is uh, for Solomon is how do you relate to money? And I got a couple um caveats before we get we get going have you ever gone to like jonathan to like the the self-help section of the bookstore and there's a bunch of titles that say god's way to making money or something like that have you ever seen something like that um i've never gone to those parts of the bookstore but i am aware that that's out there yeah it is out there and i just wanted to say this this is not I'm not going to, this isn't Solomon's MBA course for how to invest or, or make money. In in fact, what we're really wanting to do is, is be prophetic a little bit. And if we have to reorient your relationship with God and with money, and I'll remember what I'll remind everyone what, what Jesus said, he said, it's hard. It's, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And of course, we all know the story of the young, the, young, the rich young ruler. Uh, and, and Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is a significant and mind-blowing image. <laughs> and um, so what we want to do is, is reorient our relationship with God, who loves us so, and is so much better than money. And, but also receive from his hand the gift, because it is a gift, of, of money. I wanted to at least say that before we get into these words from Solomon. Did you have anything else that you wanted to, to say, Jonathan? Before right, well, we get, really get into it? Yeah, but I'm going to wait. You will. All right. So this, this is the plan as we work through the podcast. 
we're going to we're going to reorient our relationship with money in this way. We're going to see what money can never do. That's the that's going to be their first point. What money can never do. We're also going to see what money can do. And and Solomon has some um positive statements about that. And then what we're going to also see what money leads us to do. And to do that, you know, have your bibles open. This is the Notable Podcast, so you can take little notes in there. And I'm going to be making notes up on the screen for you as well. But Jonathan, take us take, take it away. What can money never do? What can it never do? Yeah, just to lead into this, Timothy, a lot of what we're going to be doing tonight is, um, I would say, give sensitive readings of his texts. So we're going to spend a lot of time looking at the things that he says in a sensitive and hopefully, um, you know, a, a lot of most of scripture um, assumes what we call a sophisticated reader. In other words, we're going to actually spend time going back to these words and, and chewing on them. And so that's what we're going to spend most of our time doing. So our first point is what can, what can money never do? And the answer, we're going to supply the answer, but then we're going to look at how Solomon lays this out. Um, money cannot be our God. It can never be our God. And we're going to look at some, some points under that. The first thing that money can never do, and it can never take the place of God, is that it cannot secure us. So money can't be God because it cannot secure us. So here's our first scripture that we're going to look at. It's from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and it's verses 13 through 15. And there Solomon says this, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Now, the very first thing that I want to do is, is track with everybody the biblical story. Hopefully, these words um, invoked for you the story of Job, which precedes um, the book of Ecclesiastes um, temporally and, and chronologically. And so Job, Job said this, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So uh, then Paul, so we're just, we're tracking across the biblical can canon right now, and we're just knitting these texts together. Job says the same thing. Ecclesiastes says it. Now Paul is going to pick up the same language in 1 Timothy. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, Paul writes, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So what we have here is a whole canonical tradition of, of helping the Christian think about the true story of wealth. And it's and the, the inability of, of wealth and affluence to secure us, because in the moment, when we need it the most, when we're dying, we can't take it with us. It is, it, it's, it, now, 
I want to I want to just push on this just a little bit. Just the the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it is a literary masterpiece. And one thing, as you think about this, the Bible's telling a story. It's telling a story of how we come into this world and how we're going to exit this world. And it's helping us by telling this story. It is it is making the reality of our lives more clear. And this is this is genius. Um, and the culture knows this. Those who tell the stories own the culture. Those the stories that are embedded in our hearts and in our minds are the ones that guide us in our lives. What story are we telling ourselves about money? See, the problem, the problem is with money is that um, usually we have only half stories associated with money. Everybody in the world is in the middle of their own story because they haven't died yet. Um, but what, what, what Solomon does here is he takes us all the way to the end and he helps us think about what happens at the end, and this is transformational for us. I wanna say two things about it, just, just by way of proving this. The first is um, Charles Dickens writes a, a, a story that um, often comes up in people's minds um, this time of year, Christmas story. When did Scrooge finally um, transform his relationship with money? It was when he saw his own death. When did Alfred Nobel change his relationship with money. It's an interesting story, Alfred. I don't Novell. know that story. You, Alfred Novell, he, um, you know how for um, really significant figures, media has sort of prefabricated obituaries for people. Well, the news was false, falsely went out that Alfred Nobel um, had died. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he read it and anyway the poor guy ended up reading his own obituary in the newspaper and the obituary read this doc so he's reading this dr alfred nobel who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before died yesterday <laughs> so of course he's the maker of um glycerin he invented glycerin and so that's what the paper is responding to and from that point on in his life alfred nobel went on um a shopping spree so to speak with his money um that's why there's the the nobel prizes because alfred nobel didn't want to be known as a as a mass killer he wanted to be known for his you know for his generosity um and grants which ends up being pretty successful by the way but the point is he stares at his own death it does transform then his relationship with money and this is certainly what Solomon is doing you can't take it with you look at that for sure and this is Solomon you know just to get more specific into this little episode episode that that you just read here the, the NIV doesn't do us any favors and kind of makes it seem like this is just a, a, a few proverbs stitched together. But really, this is the story of, of a guy who really aggressively saved. And another way of talking about that would be hoarding. And he hoarded and hoarded and hoarded. And then 
somewhere along the line, he lost it all. Maybe he got Bernie Madoff. Maybe he made a bad business investment. Maybe his wife got sick and he had to pay the doctors. We don't know. And then there's this moment, and the NIV misses this too, where his child, his young child, is, is holding out his hand or her hand and saying, do you have anything for me? The NIV thinks it's inheritance, but it, that's really not what the text says. And, and, and the guy says, I don't have anything for you. It, it's it's kind of like um, he, the, the child's skin and bones, he's got nothing left. And, and so he, all that aggressive saving or hoarding, what did it do? Nothing. And the truth of the matter is that money cannot, it, it simply cannot secure our future, that it cannot be God for us. And to use like a little bit of a prophetic phrase um, that like the prophets would use about the nation of, of, of Egypt, it, this is kind of like leaning on a sword. If you think that money is going to gonna save, uh, you know, secure your future, you're wrong. You're wrong. It can't. Um, we're going to die. And it, it, if you acknowledge that fact, money can't do anything for you in that moment. Nothing. But there's one who can. And his name is Jesus. And he rose from the dead. So money is money. Money is not a God. It, it, it is for some people, but it's a really bad one. <laughs> that would be that would be the point. Should we move on to the next the next uh, scripture here, Jonathan? Yeah, so money can't secure us. And the next idea that we're going to look at is that money cannot satisfy us. So it's not a God in that way either. It's not something that our hearts can can really grab onto. So that brings us to Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse eight. And here Solomon says this, there was a man all alone. I'm just letting that sink in. He had neither son nor brother. (laughs) Yeah. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? He asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> this is beautiful in a, in a terrible way. Um, you have this character stretch, sketch, this drawn character that Solomon gives us. And we imagine him being all alone. He's working his tail off. And then... What I think is the exclamation point on this really pathetic figure. You know, the guy probably is filthy rich. He's just, he's working his tail off, but he has nobody to share it with. Um, it's horrific. And he's compulsive about it. He cannot stop. And I mean, it's really sad. Um, and then, like I said, here's the exclamation point. For whom am I toiling? He asked. And why? Am I depriving myself of enjoyment? So Solomon takes us from this exterior view of this character. And all of a sudden, he gives us this devastating inner picture of this man's inner spiritual life. And the guy has a big question mark on his heart. It's devastating. Yeah, don't think about that too long. <laughs> yeah. the imp- right. well, they, or do you know like the impact yeah. the impact of the character 
the, the impact of meditating on something like this is you end up saying, not me. Lord, have mercy, not me. Yeah, and that's the power of the scriptures. Yeah. yeah, there's something better. We got another one that goes along those same lines. This is from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And again, we're seeing how money cannot satisfy us. Uh, here's what Solomon said. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. So he, he, here we go. Here we go. It, we, got, we got this guy and he thinks that at some point he'll have enough money and he never will. He never will. It, you always want more. Uh, Rockefeller, I, I think the original Rockefeller, John Rockefeller, he, he owned like at some point well above 10% of all the wealth in the United States of America. And somebody asked him, uh, when are you going to have enough money? And Or what was the question? Um, how much money is enough money? They asked him. And, it said, and he said this, just a little bit more. And that's how it always goes. Like, uh, if you want to, this is kind of like a runner. This, uh, this is how I have it in my own head. It's like a runner who's run a marathon and you offer the runner after she crosses the desert, a hundred degrees, she's run 26.2 miles and, um, you give her salt water, not going to satisfy you. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just not going to work. And, and yet people think that somehow it will at some point. I mean, it, do, do a thought experiment for a second. Those are great quotes and great illustrations, but do a thought experiment just for a second with me. Imagine you, uh, you, you know a, a widow who you care about in your life and you want to satisfy her heart. Her husband's just died maybe a couple of weeks ago and how, how would it go if you went to her house with a check for $10,000? It doesn't do it. It doesn't do does it. Does this make you, yeah, just say, does this make you feel better? Yeah, it like, <laughs> doesn't do it. No. It doesn't satisfy. It's not a good God. It's not a good God. That's what we're saying. And there's a lot you, of things. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I'm kind of thinking about what Jesus is. I mean, think about the comfort that he brings in a situation like that or the promise of his infinite grace instead of money that always runs out. It There's just no comparison between the two. Amen. Money money cannot satisfy us. It, it's, a, it's a bad God. Did you have another verse that you wanted to go for it? Yeah, there's one more here. There's one more under under this topic. Um, and again, we're looking at what money can never do. Um, and this is a verse that helps us um, sort of bring this all to a final analysis. So um, Ecclesiastes chapter five, and it's verses 16 and 17. And here Solomon says, this too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. So he's, he's describing here um, the godless life um, or the money 
preoccupied life. And he says, this life um, is you eat it in darkness. You have great frustration, affliction, anger, because what are you, you're just chasing? You're just pursuing it and never, you never arrive there. Um, and so in the final analysis, money that's trusted and not God is going to give you this dark, oppressive life. And so what Solomon is doing is it's, he is calling us out from, from this, from this money slavery. Um, by the way, Nerd Wallet does the same thing. <laughs> so here's a here's a quote from Nerd Wallet. Um, money worshippers. Did you know this? This is this is secular stuff. Okay, very interesting. Oh, interesting. But, yeah, money worshippers. There's a whole category of people. Money worshippers believe that more money will solve their problems. And they can never have enough money. They are more likely to overspend on themselves or others and carry credit card debt. It's a nice little drawn character here of a modern person. Money worship is the most, listen to this. This is from NerdWallet. Money worship is the most common belief among Americans, according to research by Klotz. I want to talk to this Klontz guy. <laughs> it's not, uh, I'll say this though. He didn't really stumble upon anything newsworthy. Uh, Luther knew this. Read his, his exclamation, explanation of the, the first commandment dives right into love of money. And he talks about how he gives the name mammon to money. This is it's a very prominent false god. And, and what Solomon's trying to do in every way that he can here is to, to rip that idolatry out of our hearts. It, it goes nowhere. It's like leaning on a pierced sword. It leaves you disappointed, empty, lonely, dark, frustrated. Should I go on? Can't be your God, but Jesus is. Yeah. He really and, is. He gives life to the full. Yeah. But here's what money can do. Uh oh. (laughs) (laughs) It can, it can, it can. Yeah. So let's turn the corner. What can money do? It can do something. And we're going to see it actually can do quite a bit. But give us the bad news first. What can money do in a bad way? (laughs) Blind us. It blinds us. Now, let's look at this little uh, proverbial story that Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes has. This is Ecclesiastes 4. It's verses 13 to 16. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. So you have this contrast, right, between poverty and, and riches, the king and this poor youth. Verse 15, I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after wind. So let me, let me just talk, talk this through. Um, first of all, we have um, 
uh, spiritually blind king. Uh, well, what makes him blind? He's a foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. He won't listen. He, he, he used to be poor. He's now rich. Um, and he thinks he knows everything now. And so wealth blinds. Um, is it, it, it blinds you to God because when, when, when you're a wealthy, affluent person, I earned it. I deserved it. Um, you, you can think about this. Um, it's, it's really interesting. I'm just going to make an observation sort of like Solomon does in Ecclesiastes. It's really interesting that people on, in lower um, income brackets are more generous givers by percentage than wealthy people. Um, and why, you know, why is that? I'm sure there's a lot of dynamics going on there. One of the dy dy dynamics I wonder might be going on is people keep um, most of their money or too much of their money think that they somehow deserve it or that they've um, earned it. And so they feel like they can hold on to it more. Um, so you, you, you think about that. People, people are blinded by their own money. Like they don't realize they were put inside of a prosperous society. They were given a certain set of parents, um, a certain set of character formation. They, they, don't, they don't realize that all of this is, is a gift from God. Um, going further than that, um, one, one pastor uh, um, I've heard speak on this, and my experience has been the same, is that I've had, you know, one of the greatest things about being a pastor is you get to sit with people and hear people um, confess things that are on their hearts, and we get to absolve them and, and give Christ forgiveness. Of course we do that. But nobody's ever come to me and said, Pastor, I'm struggling with grief. They don't realize they are. We are really very blind to the fact that um, we, we care too much about it. We think too much about it. And when we, when we do, we can really feel entitled to it. And so we lose our reliance on God. Um, and so money can blind us like that. But it also blinds us to other people. It really does. Um, there's the story Jesus told about this. Um, is um, so impactful. He tells a story about this um, poor man named Lazarus who's lying there at the gates of, of, of his wealth. And he doesn't even notice the guy. And I, it makes me wonder, um, we're talking about blindness, right? Like, how often does this happen to us? Like, when, when we're wealthy and affluent, we can live inside of our own socioeconomic bubbles. We go to certain stores. We, go, we have certain sets of friends. We have certain schools. And there, there can be a person who lives a half mile from us and they have nothing. And we don't know anything about it. Um, it's really, it's so, it, money blinds us. Um, it's, it's really very convicting to think about. Um, yeah. you, so anyway, the, how, how it applies to this little story that Solomon has for us is this king grows up, he gets blind. The youth then grows up and he gets blind in the same way. And you have this proud and blind king all over again. And so this is the power of money. It, it does blind us over and over and over again. Cyclical in nature, right? Yeah. It, 
so money blinds it also that this is a second point so we're looking at what what does money have the power to do it can't be god it can't secure our future it can blind us spiritually and other people to god and it also can make your life worse <laughs> and I, I, this is a this is such an interesting meditation from solomon i love this one this is we're back in ecclesiastes chapter five and he we're going to just look at it verses 11 and 12 and he says this as goods increase so do those who consume them and what benefit are they to their owners except to feast their eyes on them so he he's got a couple proverbs in here we'll look at them just a little bit at a time the first one is this like as you accumulate as you uh get more stuff and this is christmas time this is a little bit of a warning to us. So do those who consume them. So this is kind of, this, this is the posse. This is the crowd. This is, you know, the gang of people that forms around you to take care of your stuff. And, and um, so he's kind of saying more money, more problems. If you want to go puff daddy on it, more money, more problems. <laughs> well, it, and it's, it's more responsibility the more money you have, the more money you have to spend to take care of it all. It's, you know, this is, this is why people are downsizing, downsizing their houses because turns out you don't want that big of a house. It's too much. It's too much responsibility. It's too much work. It's, it, it's, it's absurd. Solomon would say it's not necessarily a good thing. Anyway, you, what were you going to say? Well, there comes a point, there's a great quote, I was just sitting with somebody earlier this week, and it was a great quote, um, maybe she pulled it from somewhere else, but um, she said, there comes a point when the things that you own begin to own you, and um, you see people, they have vacation homes, and they're constantly having to go and clean them, and deal with the realtor, and all this stuff, and um yeah, uh, we think that money and affluence and possessions is where it's at, but actually it's a lot of work. The government yeah. is going to want a chunk of it. The charities want a chunk of it. You know, everybody's gathering around. I'll, I'll say this too. Uh, Solomon makes a really poignant observation, and he is a deep question. What benefit are they to their owners except to feast their eyes on them? So the best way to think about this, let, 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 let's say there's a guy in Manhattan. He owns five penthouses. He can only be in one of them at once. And the fact of the matter is he can only be in one room at once. So what benefit are the other four penthouses to him? except to feast his eyes on them. Nothing. <laughs> and guess what? I can also look at his penthouses, just like he can. So Solomon is blowing up this idea that it's necessarily and always better to be rich. It's not. More money, more problems. And all you can really do is look at it. So all you can really do is get your app open and be like, oh, look, I have this but you can't even use it. So this is a big problem. This is a big problem, everybody. <laughs> we got to, we got to talk about that little parable. I love the little, the little, um, yeah, go, go. 
the little proverb at the end here. He, he has two images. Um, he's got a guy who's sleeping like a baby at night. <laughs> this guy worked hard and he had a good day of work and he just lays down and he's satisfied. And it doesn't even matter if he ate a lot or a little. It was just a good day of work. And he's going to sleep tight. He's just on Z's. And then he's got this other guy, this, this, rich, this rich person. And it, Solomon says, their abundance permits them no sleep. Now, you can think of all these, you know, business tycoons and stuff. They're up at 3 a.m. They got to make money. They got to make money. They got to make money. Uh, that's probably not what, what he's talking about. Probably not somebody who's a stockbroker and they're like, the inflation report's coming out tomorrow. I got I to gotta, I gotta be there to trade or whatever. Um, probably what's going on is um, dyspepsia. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got an upset stomach. The poor guy needs some Pepto-Bismol. Because um, what happened, the deal is it's abundance, right? Like the guy had too much to eat. <laughs> the guy can't sleep. Um, just a really interesting. So Solomon's saying, look, you think you think it's great when you're feasting, you know, you're having that T-bone every night. And then you know what? The guy who worked hard on the roads is sleeping better than you because you're dealing with gout. <laughs> you know, like it's just it's just fun what he's doing here. So one way, this is how I put it to my church at least is to ask yourself this question, who's better at off at 2 a.m., the rich guy or the poor guy? The guy who's in his gilded bathroom um, slugging Pepto-Bismol or the guy who's sawing logs? The guy, the guy who's sawing logs, right? So Solomon, he's at least wanting you to question this 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 narrative that we keep telling ourselves it's better to be rich he's really not sure he's he's really not sure um and so this is this is this is a really important point yeah this is a really important point for us to get so money can do things it can really do things it can blind you (laughs) it can make your your stomach yeah (laughs) or there there actually is one positive passage that i wanted to look at and this is from ecclesiastes chapter 10 this is one thing to notice is that in the book of ecclesiastes and and going into our last episodes here you're going to get more of this but actually the book starts to get really really positive so the beginning of the book really takes things away from us and it it strips us strips the world away from us and then at the end the, the spirit through Solomon gives it back again. And there's a really stunning, like I'm going to call it stunning because when you get to it, it, it really just pops off the page. And it's this verse right here. It's just a little guy. This is from Ecclesiastes 10. It, this is so positive. It's so positive that a lot of commentators and interpreters are like, he can't really mean this. Well, listen to what he says. This is Ecclesiastes 10, verse 19. A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry. And money is the answer for everything. <laughs> There's the title of our 
of our episode. <laughs> money is the answer to everything. <laughs> is it? <laughs> <laughs> money. So, so there's a couple interpretive options for this, and I prefer, I prefer the second one that I'm going to show to you. But some commentators and, and interpreters will say, this is deep, deep irony from Solomon. This, this is, he actually does, he means the exact opposite of what he's saying. And, and the, the reason why they say that is because, and I want to show these verses to you, we have these, we have these, pre, these princes who are feasting in the morning. So they're, they're feasting for the wrong reasons. And we have these people who are being lazy and the rafters are sagging. And it could be those guys. It could be those princes who are like money. Like it, he, uh, Solomon's putting this quote in their mouths. Well, money is the answer for everything. So, so that, that would be a very cynical, a very cynical reading of um ecclesiastes here and by the way commentators do that throughout the book they'll just twist his words and say what he actually means is the exact opposite and i i frankly i don't read any part of the book of ecclesiastes that way the second interpretive um uh option is that he actually means that he and and i do think that he actually means it. i'm going to try to see if i can get some interpretive momentum for that but he has left these guys behind. He's left these feast, these morning feasters, these guys drinking at 9 a.m. It's not even 5 p.m. It's 9 a.m. Mm. And Solomon's trying to reorient them to the purpose of feasting. So it, it, he says that feasting is for strength. Look at what he says, for strength. So there is a reason to feast. It would be not to be gluttonous or drunk to regain your strength to go about the things that you need to do every day and and then he says a feast is made for laughter wine makes life merry so this this is its purpose it's not a bad thing and and money has a valuable role in our life too it very valuable it's the answer for everything now we wouldn't want to take that too far would we but we also don't, it, it, what we could say, what I, this is the way I understand him. He's saying silver, crypto, whatever you want to go with, is very versatile. I mean, can we at least say that about money? Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's very versatile. It's very versatile. It's very useful. And nobody, no, nobody's saying money makes a bad God. It, but it is very useful. Like, um, here's an illustration for you. We don't we don't think about how how useful money is, but money money is is this useful. On twelve twenty five this month, I am I I paid money, and I'm because I paid money. There's going to be a pilot who's going to skip Christmas dinner and fly me in a small metal tube across the sky so that I can go visit my parents. Very useful. Very, very useful. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs>
it is a it is a nice answer for a lot of many many things and so really solomon's got a very balanced view of money i i oh wow it it's so spiritually healthy i think to have this this view of money to not not hate it but to, to have it in its proper place to know that you don't need too much of it but having some of it is helpful i think that's what he's saying in his book money can do some things it can do some things so it blinds us it it um oh i forgot our second point and then it <laughs> it is an answer for some things for us well what does it lead us to do then what do we do with money well i want to take us back to the very first we didn't look at this yet but the very first statement that that solomon has about money and it's in ecclesiastes chapter 4 and it's verse 4 and he writes here um, beginning a section that um, is one of his larger sections on on money so here's what he says can i I just say this before you read this for me for me this is one of the most devastating um, when it comes to money, this is one of the most devastating spiritually verses that there is. This is this is really quite incredible what he says. So to go ahead with that. Go ahead. He's a strong statement. So he says, yeah. and I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one's person, one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I mean, anybody who reads that, I sh- should be shaken. I'm, I'm, I'm shook by it. Wow, uh, yeah. Solomon makes an absolute statement: all toil, all achievement. Wow. Yeah. So, so he's kind of saying he's he's kind of saying this, and he's connecting it with money. Why is it that you do that? What you do? Why do you work so hard? Why are you chasing after the wind? It's because your heart is filled with envy. You want to be better than the next person. You wish you had what she had. That's why you do what you do. And I, mm, that's a devastating statement. What's what's right our there. goal and what's what's our motive? Like he does, he is getting to to motive here. Like what what is going? On? Let's turn in the wheels. Um, in our hearts. Um, and you, we can all think of, I think what's easy for us to do is for us to think of what I'll, say, what I'll call um, gross examples of that. Um, e- easy, easily spottable examples of covetousness, which is idolatry. And, but I think what's more difficult for us to do is spot um, more subtle obsessions with money. Like uh, one of the things that I, I wonder about, and I'm just wondering, not, I'm not going to make any kind of absolute statement like, like Solomon, but I wonder about this, is that even the, ch- sometimes I wonder if even the church is subtly baptizing money and affluence obsession. Uh, like for example, I don't, I don't know how many times I've I've heard of churches doing the Dave Ramsey stuff. And I, I, I'm not grinding an ax here. I, I'm not. I Do it. Teach people how to manage money well. 
What troubles me is when I hear people say, I listen to this podcast every day. Dave Ramsey every day. And I go, whoa, that is a lot. Whoa, we're going Susie Orsman or whatever this is all the time. And so in other words, what you're doing then, if we're obsessing about money that much and about our finances and, and doing the snowball thing or whatever it is, um, we've actually just taken the obsession of money and we've Christianized it. Um, we've dressed it up in Christian clothes. Um, this and this is very dangerous. And I, I just, I just, all Solomon, Solomon is spotting it everywhere, and I'm just trying to point out maybe we should see it in other places too. Well, you know, you always have to go back to like, why do I do what I do? Why do I work so hard? Why do I want a bigger salary? Why do I want that house or that boat or whatever? And he, and he's saying like, he's attributing that to envy. So we, we look at what somebody else has and we want it. That's a huge giant motivation that he's, that, that he's seeing. And this is a, this, this calls for repentance, you know, just to be straight up, this calls for repentance. We, and Americans are the worst, you know, we're the worst looking over the fence or whatever. We don't have those in Queens, but <laughs> anyway, enough yeah. on that. The, the move is from is from from money uh, small g God to God and uh, you know I want to just reference here Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 18 through 20. people really need to go and read that because that really sums all this stuff up I, I just want to say this now is notice that what Solomon wants to push you toward, is not um, the pursuit or the accumulation of wealth um, and assets and possessions. What he, what he wants us to do is to enjoy life along the way. So it's not the having of stuff that is supposed to excite us and we, that we chase after the accumulation, but it's in the living. It's actually in the living of life. And by the way, Paul is the same way. I just want to read this. Paul is, I think, perhaps riffing off Solomon. And at the very least, he's got him in the back of his head. Because it's the same section. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6. But listen to this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. So Paul, Paul has... Um, us repenting and putting our hope in God. But then he goes on like this, God, listen, this is amazing. This is the first thing that he, that Paul goes on to, to, to after properly um, moving our trust to God, this is how he, what he wants us to do as first thing with our money. He says, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Where did he get that from? Come on. Case yeah. closed to me. And it, it, besides Ecclesiastes, and if you go to uh, also to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus got a, a pretty long teaching on money, especially in Matthew chapter 6 and 7. Um, and 1 Timothy chapter 6. These are, these are prime chapters of the Bible to kind of reorient yourselves to 
too money, but keep going, Jonathan. You're hitting a home run with this. This is awesome. So you stuff. got you. We move from we move from small G God to God. All of a sudden, now Solomon is thrusting us not into the the goal of accumulating uh, possessions and money, but rather just in the enjoyment of the life that we have in the moment, the, the gifts that we have in the moment. And then you'll notice what Solomon does as he moves on to the section is he actually puts us together with other people so that we're not so no, no longer do we have this devastating drawn sketch of this man who's got who's got nobody around him he's so lonely he doesn't even know why he's working and suddenly in ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 through 11 which by the way is probably one of the more famous passages in the book <laughs> right um a cord of three strands is not easily broken mm-hmm. what solomon does is he smashes us back together in relationships where joy happens um it's it's not a surprise that's right that's right did did you are we taking the rest of these verses right now because what he says right after this envy portion is really cool actually yeah so this this is what he says so fools fold their hands and ruin themselves Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So he's saying, um, question why you're chasing all of this stuff. It's probably because of envy, almost certainly. And then he says, um, we got these. It's also the height of stupidity to be lazy. So we don't have that option either. Like he's taking us to these extremes. Right. Um, And then he he says it's at the same time, it is okay to sit down and have a tranquil moment, right? Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So what, what he's trying to say is, don't go to any of these extremes. Don't don't like stay burn the midnight oil just to make money, but also don't be laying in bed until 10 a.m. and then rolling out of bed and thinking, I, I don't know how to get a job, right? He <laughs> he wants you somewhere in the middle, right? Um, trusting in God, um, receiving his gifts, and um and then enjoying those gifts. This beautiful he, balance. Yeah, beautiful balance for life. This this is what it leads us to do. Neither one nor the other. We stay right in the middle. But now we got one last section. One last section tonight. What is it? What does this lead us to do as we we trust in God? We've been reconciled to Him through Christ, and we enjoy the gifts He gives us. We find ourselves in in relationships. It's not that we work too hard for money or that we're lazy. We want to be right in the middle. How can we push out into our lives? And this is, now I want you to notice we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. So we're we're starting to summit um, to his conclusion in the book. And he has here beautiful language, and there's so much to think about And what I want to do is read the whole section, and then we'll spend a little bit of time unpacking what he says. So he says, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. 
Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. See your sow, sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. So, oh man, there's just a, there's just a lot in there. I want to start at the top and, and kind of take us through it. Before you say that, though, like this is so optimistic and hopeful here. He has moved a really long ways from Ecclesiastes chapter one. You just got a meaningless, meaningless, every, everything is meaningless, says the teacher. And now he just noticed what he's saying. Like he, he, he's very far from telling you to give up on life. And this, a lot of people never get that far in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is, this is really important stuff. Sorry to interrupt you, but no, it, it really is. Giving, giving the context of the whole book is really important. Here you got a guy who's recommending global trade. You know, that's what he's doing here. This is big mm-hmm. stuff. Ship your grain across the sea. You may return. You may receive a return. So he's, you know, get to it. If you invest, you do it. <laughs> yeah, invest. It, now, you notice what he says. He says, you may receive a return so this is it's not this isn't ironclad um the world doesn't a world broken by sin doesn't work perfectly anymore but that may should not stop us ship you do the shipping get it going this is sort of on the on the on the nose right now like we have all these ships <laughs> waiting in harbor but ship, yeah. you know that's what he's saying so now some people are going to say um that charitable giving is in view. And I just wanted to acknowledge that point of view here. Um, there's a, um, an ancient commentator by the name of Isaac of Nineveh who said this. This is what Psalm is saying. He says, do not separate the rich from the poor, nor try to discriminate the worthy from the unworthy, but let all men be equal in your eyes for a good deed. So he's saying this is sort of like a metaphor, and what you need to do, you know, ship your grain across the sea, share it with people, um, do it indiscriminately, get it going, don't worry about it, um, bless people with your wealth. This is, of course, a very biblical and charitable thing to do. I just don't think it's what Solomon's talking about at all. Um, charitable giving does not seem to be in view. Um, it does definitely seem like um, Solomon is, is, is talking about business ventures, um, uh, going to the next, the next verse there in verse two, um, Solomon says, get into seven ventures. Yes. Eight today, we call that diversifying your portfolio portfolio, <laughs> right? <laughs> you want to, you don't want to go in just one. You, you want to do seven and eight and, um, get in there and, and do it. So Solomon has this idea Nothing ventured, nothing gained is a popular way of, of saying it. 
I'm pausing. I got more to say, but I wanted to pause and no, see if you he, had anything you want to add. I don't have anything else to say on that. That's that's all wonderful. It's, it's all right. Good. So the next thing that I, that I want to point out is that um, Solomon makes it very clear. Um, verse four, for example, says, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. What is he saying? He's saying there's no perfect moment to move into your life. That's what he's saying. Um, though, and this is the balance again, though we will want to be wise. So there, that's verse three. You know, if, if the clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Like this is, a, this is how it is. You'll see a rainstorm coming, like get out yeah. of the way. You know? Even so there's a there's a proverb i think comes from the midwest united states that says even the cows know when to come home <laughs> so right right so there's balance like if you watch the clouds too much you'll never put anything in the ground but if you don't watch them at all even you know even the clouds know cows know when when to come home so there's there's balance here in all of this then what Solomon does is he moves into what I'll call the mystery. And he's got a couple examples of this. These are very profound. He says, you don't know the path of the wind. He also says, you don't know how the body is formed in the mother's womb. And then he compares this to the work of God. So he says, you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. And so here Solomon is acknowledging Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where God said, I've got a plan for everything. But we, humanity doesn't know what it is. And this is the burden to us. And so we can't, this is a mystery to us. We don't know how a baby gets put together. Um, we don't know how the wind is flowing. We don't know how all this stuff works. But what we, so what we can do, and this is what Solomon is saying, embrace the mystery and this is verse six, and do this. Sow your seed in the morning, and in evening let your hands be idle. So, you know, do your work, for you do not know what will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. So Solomon again is saying, work, you can work at two different things at the same time. You don't want to put all your, uh, we're doing Proverbs, right? You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You can do two things because finally <laughs> there's a That's mystery. not in the Bible, by the way. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a mystery. <laughs> there's a mystery to what God is doing. Like he might, God might not want to bless that. And he might want to bless this over here. We're not going to know until we actually do it. Yeah. And I'll just say this, like in this moment, culturally that we're living in right now, I think we need more of the latter part of Ecclesiastes than the earlier part of Ecclesiastes. Like people, I think people really are getting right now in this moment in a deep level, how meaningless things are, how chaotic they are, how devastating they are, how messed up things are. And people are getting that at such a deep level that they're throwing in the towel completely on life. Like, uh, too many people are staying home. They're putting on their pajamas and just taking a check from the U.S. government. Too many people uh, have just, they've really just quit on, on everything. And there's some pretty interesting commentary going on right now about 
about people who uh, the lack of people starting families today, the lack of people getting married, the, the lack of people starting new businesses. This is, this is, there's another pandemic right now. And it's, I don't know if we'd call it listlessness or loneliness, depression, but um, wow, we, we need to see that um, God can put his hand on the things that he wants to put his hand on and leave it all a mystery. But he does say, you know, um, sow your seed in the morning, ship your grain across the sea, invest um, in seven ventures, yes, eight. And that's a really encouraging thing to hear from Solomon. I'll leave it at that. I don't know if you wanted to lay into that a little bit more or not. No, I want to close with, with this great gospel truth. It's a mystery how a child is, is formed in its mother's womb. It's also a mystery that God would love in Christ people like us who are so broken and can be so broken away from him. But he does love us. And the mystery is true. And we know that because Christ came wrapped in flesh for us. Happy Advent listeners. <laughs> Enjoy that um, as you participate in your churches and comforted by the gospel and you anticipate the king's coming. He's all the wealth we'll ever need. We will not be here next week. I think we should say that. So both of us are gone in a pastor's conference, but the following week we will be back. At, so in two weeks, not in one week, but in two weeks, Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Thanks for joining us, everybody. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Notable Podcast. You can check out our other seasons on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are enjoying this ministry and are so moved to support it, please visit us at www.thenotablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.